everyone and welcome to Mentally Sounds podcast series. This is episode 95. My name is Ricky Thaman and I'm your host for the next hour. Mentally Sound is a mental health and mental well-being show. The idea is that myself and my guests talk candidly and at substance on everything to do with mental health. So on that basis, as a disclaimer, we strongly advise you to go see your GP, nearest therapist or crisis centre if you find the topics of our discussions distressing for you. A reminder that Mentally Sound is a podcast, formerly a live radio show that pre-existed the pandemic and lockdown, so we've adapted to podcast medium for the meantime post-lockdown. If you're listening to us on Spice FM, Newcastle's brilliant community radio station from the heart of the West End, you can tune in via 98.8 FM or online via the website at spicefm.co.uk and we're on air on Tuesday afternoons at 1 o'clock and on Saturday afternoons at 3 o'clock and we're also on DAB Radio. If you'd like to get in touch, perhaps be signposted to a guest or seek advice from our therapist, you can email us at mentallysound at spiceofm.co.uk or get in touch via our social media where we have links to all our shows as well. On Twitter, we're at underscore mentallysound. On Instagram, we're at mentallysoundradio. And on Facebook, we're at mentallysoundradioshow, radio show being in brackets. And on our Facebook header page, you'll find links and archives to all our previous podcasts with all relevant topics listed underneath. We're also on the relevant podcast platforms. Look up Mentally Sound on Clips, spelled C-L-Y-P, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Anchor. And on our show this week, well, we're framing it as a housing and mental health episode. Our first guests are Food and Solidarity, who've been on the show a few times, formerly Mutual Aid Group. They were very active during lockdown and the pandemic. And we also have Shelter, the charity, where we met up with them at their event at the Vermont Hotel, and they'll be talking to us about their fundraising efforts. And also in between, myself and a therapist, Amir, we have a little discussion about refugees, the whole discussion about migrants and their own trauma. So enjoy the show. Thank you. everybody welcome to another episode of mentally sound this is episode 95 i believe and wow. here we are at the lubber fiend am i pronouncing that correctly i think so i hope so great great venue my first time here me and amia our therapist were wandering around saying where is this place nicely well hidden but <laughs> fantastic we found it so yes a group called food and solidarity formerly mutual aid who we've had on the show many times had a bit of a workshop thing going on today so myself and Amir decided to attend and see what it's all about. So I have with me Mwenza, I have Luce, I have Elgin, I have Shireen, and of course Amir's by my side as always. So we're just going to have a general chit-chat, talk about food and solidarity, what's been going on recently, what today was all about, the transition from mutual aid to food and solidarity, and yeah, an interesting workshop we just carried out as well, so a little bit more in detail about that. So just going to go quickly around the table, see how everyone is. Firstly, Mawenza, nice to meet you in person. I know I talked to you before. How yeah. are you? Oh, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. I'm happy that um, we managed to, you know, be out of the house and successfully run a workshop. That feels like a lot. Cool. <laughs> Luce, how are you? Maybe talk a little bit about yourself because I'm meeting you for the first time. Uh, I'm good, thanks. Yeah, Um well, yeah, I'm Luz. I'm, I'm originally from the Netherlands, mm-hmm. moved to Newcastle slash Gateshead 
a few years ago for work and also met these amazing guys and now we are all involved in food and solidarity. How are you finding Tyneside? It's very nice, yeah. I'm enjoying it a lot. Yeah. It's, a, it's a good place to live. It's, it's a nice kind of environment with a lot of, uh, you know, like, I guess the kind of like thing that they say about people here is true that a lot of nice people, <laughs> like very friendly, very relaxed. Cool. Um, yeah. Love yep. going to the beach. Brilliant. So, all good. <laughs> I remember asking you, Wednesday, didn't you? Because uh, you travel across from the big pond. Mm. Uh, I think you talked about the various culture. Well, did I, if I remember correctly, you were in Durham before, is that I right? I was, yes, yeah. yes. And then, yeah, I made the upgrade to Newcastle. Oh, great, okay. <laughs> the big step up. Um, it was the dream. Okay, we'll, we'll bleep that out for any potential Durham, Durham, Durham listeners who might be. <laughs> only kidding, only kidding. There's friendly rivalry up here in, in, in God's country. We have Elgin sitting directly opposite me. How are uh, you, mate? Yeah, good, thanks. Yeah? Um, yeah, I'm good. Um, I'm originally from uh, South Wales, but I've been living here for a few years now. Cool. Yeah, we've got the way. Unlike myself, we were previously involved with Acorn, so today was a similar vibe to that, wasn't it? Mm. Another one I talked to previously, Shireen. Nice to meet you in person. Yeah, you too. Yeah, Yeah. it's really nice to How are you? How's how's things? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, I'm good. And it's really good to be at this workshop in person. I've not been able to be at stuff so much recently, so yeah, good. Brilliant. And of course, to my my right, I have, as always, Amir, our therapist. We had a nice little wonder, didn't we, before we got here? Yeah, we did, yeah. Awesome. So I'll turn to you first, Moenza. I think when I last talked to you, we, it was pre the transition. It was still mutual aid back then. So maybe explain, remind listeners what that transition was all about and what mm-hmm. food and solidarity is, just to remind people. Yeah, so with, um, with the mutual aid groups, we set them up, you know, uh, very quickly mm-hmm. and everything was very responsive and and the situation has kept changing and changing, um, but we were doing everything in this very informal kind of way, and um, that meant that we were sometimes at risk of kind of getting in trouble just by not being able to say um, we have we can point to this documentation that we're yeah. real, that you can yeah. trust us or whatever. Um, and you know we ran into problems like you you couldn't buy insurance. People wanted us to have insurance. You couldn't mm-hmm. buy insurance if you were just like a an informal group. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we um, registered as a as a nonprofit, um, and that has helped us buy yeah. liability insurance and um, helped us get a bank account and okay. all that kind of stuff that has helped us okay. become like much more effective in all the things that we were doing, mm. um, which was you know providing um, support, material support of all different kinds for people in the West End of Newcastle. Mm. Mm. I remember on our last chat that we had, one of the questions I pitched to you was what what this group might look like post-lockdown. I guess that, that that's what it is now, isn't it? Yeah. You kind of look, look beyond people being locked in. But I imagine you still see people who, for whatever reason, disability, um, because the virus hasn't gone away, still might be a threat to them. But um, is, that, is there still an element of that there? Just, is there still an element of lockdown in the air for a lot of vulnerable re- residents? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And I guess that's, you know, it's affected us through people... Um, you know, developing longer term conditions and, you know, uh, we've all had massive changes in capacity. Um, and I think we're, um, yeah, it's still this very not post COVID life. Yeah. Um, and some, you know, some organizations won't be responsive to that because they don't want to be because they're set up to be rigid, you know, um, and we've been able to kind of shifting the way that we do things, um, 
in response to new crises and um, lingering crises. Luce can ask you what lockdown what briefly was. Were you in the Netherlands at the time of lockdown? You weren't? No, no, I was here. And, uh, oh, you were here. And actually, this is also how I got involved, because I moved to UK five, six years ago. Yeah. Um, but then after a while, I got to know Wenza because she came mm-hmm. also to Newcastle for a day. Um, and then, like, went away again. But then, like, COVID started and... Um, I was uh, on my own in Gateshead and Mwanza uh, and Elgin, of course, but I was in contact mostly with Mwanza at that moment, uh, was, uh, I guess, also struggling like everyone. (laughs) So then I was like, what I need actually, it's walks. I need to get out of my house. And like, you know, I'm sure you remember how we were allowed one walk a day or something or one exercise or whatever. So I would walk from Gateshead over to their house Mm -hmm. in the West End and then like, you know, and they became also my bubble family, as that was okay, called then. Yeah. So then spend some time there and like get involved in, in loads of stuff and then go for a little walk, maybe or not, just a chat. And then I walk back and, and this is kind of like, yeah, so the, it was a, a save, 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 how do you say? <laughs> like mm-hmm. it saved me from a lot of yeah, like, yeah. Um, I guess, mental health stuff because I was able sure. to go out and like visit people and see people sure. and not be yeah. alone. Yeah. And friends and family back home in the Netherlands, were they all right? Yeah, okay. overall, yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah. people were, you know, stressed and Did they have similar rules over there to what we had here? It was a bit less strict in some okay. ways. So they were quite surprised that we weren't, right. that we couldn't do stuff. And, and okay. um, but at the same time, yeah, of course, it was also lockdown and a, li- a very little stuff happening. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. it, it, it's complicated, as, as many people know, of course, when... Like, Netherlands is not far, so it's easy to go there, but then when you can't, like, that feels very sort of, like, claustrophobic. Sure. But other than that, everyone thankfully okay. survived Thank and was okay. Yeah. yeah. Elgin, I think yeah. I briefly knew at some point when we might have had a crossover period during our sort of activism time in ACORN. Yeah. But today was all about very similar work to what they do in terms mm. of dealing with vulnerable tenants, renters, and knowing what their rights are. Yeah. The threat of bailiffs and everything. So, maybe give me a brief introduction to what today was was all about and um, how you guys plan to grow on from here. Yeah, yeah. So, um, last September we sort of um, we sort of started talking to our membership of people who um, are in food and solidarity about how we could sort of um, support each other or support uh, people, members of the organisation during the cost of living crisis, as it's called. Yeah. Um, out of that um, discussion, we, we were also involved uh, don't pay activists uh, locally. Um, out of that discussion really came the idea that like people being force-fitted PPM was um, uh, prepayment meters, mm-hmm. um, I should say, was like something that was particularly relevant to, to our members. Most of our members are on prepayment, uh, like the, I, I guess. Uh, over fifty percent, let's say. Well, that's most in Italy. <laughs> so it's it's particularly relevant. The don't pay was less relevant, equally because of because of that. Um, we ran some we ran some um, workshops about around prepayment meters, around the idea of trying to get them out of out of the homes. Um, a few people came and talked about how they would been for had them force fitted. They'd had bailiffs break yeah. into their homes um, yeah. illegally. Um, yeah. British gas. Being one of the one of the companies that did that, um, so we got to the idea really of like forming um, a, 
like trying to form a group that could respond mm-hmm. to protect people if they mm-hmm. if they have bailiffs come to the house, uh, mm-hmm. um, particularly uh, bailiffs when they're acting illegally, mm-hmm. to try and force like um, uh, a renegotiation on those grounds, so like um, people could renegotiate or um, uh, and. Yeah. It, this was sort of generally we, we focused initially on prepayment meters, but mm-hmm. like really it's it's about anything for which bailiffs are used. So mm-hmm. that's you know uh, uh, reclaiming debt, a variety of various sorts of debt um, for evictions and for yeah for fitting prepayment meters, which since has been suspended, but that suspension won't go on forever. We don't know how that's going to look when that suspension's lifted. So, yeah. like, we're thinking of, you know, just continuing to build this group. Um, awesome. Yeah. Fantastic. Shireen, uh, nice to meet you in person since yeah, we last talked last time virtually. Going on from what Elgin was saying, how bad is this crisis now that we are in this sort of costing li- cost of living period? And going on from the, the, the last conversation we had, we talked a lot about mental well-being. How do you see those two things interrelated? Well... Sort of this, the so-called cost of living mm. coming on top of, you know, austerity that was already yeah. a problem for people, the pandemic that yeah. exacerbated these problems, the mental health problems that have mm. come from the pandemic, mm-hmm. and people, you know, still struggling to come back from that. Many people still living yeah. in those similar situations. Health conditions have got worse. We've really got things are sort of crumbling in a lot yeah. of ways, yeah. and um, and there's been kind of you know the way that. Um, uh, sort of politicians are responding and, mm-hmm. and the way that landlords are responding has only mm-hmm. made things harder mm-hmm. for people. So, yeah, so really things are just kind of getting harder and groups like this where people mm-hmm. know they've got someone to yeah. turn to is is kind of ever more important. It's where the really. solidarity comes in amongst the, the name, doesn't it? Sure. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. And having kept that going through... Um, through the pandemic and people sort of knowing that we're still here and sticking around, Good. I think that's really important cool. because mm. a lot of groups were doing kind of this temporary quick fix stuff, mm-hmm. which was needed, but mm. keeping that going mm-hmm. um, and building changes is mm. crucial really now. Mm. If I can turn to our therapist, Amir here. Now, Amir sort of specifies with, with you know, working with children and um, he works for a particular organisation based in the West End. Amir, could you give insight to what this situation does to not only vulnerable families, but with, with the children as well? Is it is there an ex, extra emphasis that help is needed there? And how does it affect children when they see this sort of thing going on? I think what, what parents are going through, through any stages, uh, that does permeate down to the children. It mm-hmm. develops an environment, doesn't it? And mm-hmm. children are living in that environment. Mm-hmm. So... You know, with this uh, poverty, austerity, and everything going on, mm-hmm. it does develop a certain anxiety. Mm-hmm. It's difficult to smile when there's nothing to be happy about. Mm. Uh, so it does, and we mm. can't. You know, with children, we tend to uh, forget because there are children that are growing up that are around us all the time. We try to help them engage, but then they haven't developed enough to process those emotions, so mm. they present in different ways. Mm. Okay. Yeah. This makes me think, I was just just uh, remembering that the child poverty statistics for Newcastle have recently, you know, the, the, I work alongside um, the, in my department essentially, there's the um, Child Poverty Initiative. Um, okay. What are they called actually? Let me just make sure I get their name correctly. Northeast Child Poverty 
commission. Yeah. Um, and so they're kind of looking at this stuff, and, and, and I think they've identified that the West End is particularly uh, acute kind of place for child poverty, that more mm-hmm. than half of children mm-hmm. living in the West End live in poverty. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, and I guess there's, there are lots of, um, lots of effects of that, um, of kind of, and, and that, you know, lots of people have kind of talked about, but I guess that feeling that um, some of the stuff I've seen people talk about and I've experienced myself is that feeling that um, you have a lack of trust that anybody is coming to help you. Mm-hmm. And what that does to your feeling about what it, yeah, what it is to live in society, I think is really profound. Mm-hmm. And so for me, like, there's, I have, I feel quite strongly about having having it just sort of permeate the area and lots of families kind of know that that we're there for each other, that we that we stand up for each other and back each other up. Um, and actually, it's, it's really interesting to see how much people are like, struggle to believe that initially, sure, sure. because people don't, you know, because that's the thing about these kind of crises. When we talk about community protection, um, uh, it's, a, it's about that feeling that we're, we look out for each other, that we protect each other, and that we don't treat a crisis as a personal matter, because there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of the idea that you know people should feel ashamed, individually ashamed, even though what something's being done to us yeah. as a group, basically, you can't produce this level of child poverty in the West End without this being done to us as a group, and um, so we don't want to be isolated with our problems. We want to share them with each other, um, and then it's you don't you don't experience that as like a personal shame. Luce, can I quickly ask you, just going on the child poverty aspect, is it something that you've seen upon arrival here that's sort of very glaringly obvious? Maybe do a quick compare and comparison, maybe with the Netherlands. Is it was it an eye opener for you? I think. Well, I'm not sure if it's between the Netherlands and the UK, but more between where I was living in the Netherlands and where All I right. arrived in the UK. All right. um, so where I was living, both in the city Eindhoven, mm-hmm. um, and what I was doing, working at a university, kind of, I had very little contact with, with any kind of poverty. Yeah. Um, I'm also pretty sure that the welfare state in the Netherlands is still kind of like able to, to make sure child, child poverty is, is lower than it is here, especially when you look at the West End, for example. Yeah. But here, for, I don't know, for whatever reason, I arrived, you know, like in Newcastle, but also kind of like became much more like directly in contact somehow um, with seeing seeing what was happening. And I guess the the kind of, especially the pandemic made that incredibly visible. Mm -hmm. Um, I think for many people, so not just for me, but like, and and seeing how stark the differences are within the city, Mm -hmm. um, how like there is... Um, I think there is like a 25 year gap between like um, the the age where people get, how people age and how they get disability to what point they get disability free as they say yeah so yeah. like between like for example the West End and Gosford or mm-hmm. you know like so it's really it's not yeah the ch- child poverty is incredible mm-hmm. um, but also these kind of statistics are really really okay like unbelievable mm-hmm. and um yeah, it's true. But yeah, so I think when I arrived, it wasn't immediately very visible, but it became much more so. And I think also, um, yeah. I you you recognize the, much the, more the stigma and everything. Yeah, 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 sure, yeah sure. absolutely. Elgin, a bit more about today's, today's workshop. So what's the latest in terms of, you know, renters' rights, tenants' rights when they're under the cosh of a, you know, badly led council or, or, mm. or a bad landlord? What, what, what's out there at the moment? What, what more needs to be done? Well, I guess, like in terms of um, uh, one of the one, one of the things that we've been 
working on quite recently, or we worked on quite recently, was a, a case with uh, YHM, um, yeah. the, the the housing provider, where the the, the repairs repairs in this house weren't done for about mm. eight years, I think. Mm. Um, um, ser serious damp, serious yeah. um, black mold throughout the house. Mm -hmm. um, we had something in the private rented sector that was almost identical mm -hmm. in terms of the, the, the level of damp and the, the ne negative effects on the health of the, yeah. of the tenants. Mm -hmm. um, there is something, uh, what happens often you'll sort of see within journalists writing about things is that social housing gets like a, gets examined to a level that's completely different to, 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 um, uh, to private rent set so like you've got at the moment the the, the uh, legislation going through um uh, i can't remember where it is now if it's in the house of lords where um which is about um uh, uh monitoring uh, the conditions of social housing mm -hmm. and it's just like mm -hmm. that's good it's obviously mm -hmm. it needs to be done you know the, these places these 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 housing conditions should be should be good but there isn't necessarily the equipment for the private rented sector, and the, the private rented landlords get away with mm -hmm. get away with it, you know, over and over again. And um, they're, they're shameless, like a lot of the time. And uh, yeah, so that's something that needs to be done. There needs to be um, other examples would be uh, section uh, section twenty one evictions. That's something mm -hmm. that like uh, shouldn't shouldn't continue. Shouldn't be able to just get people out of out of their tenancy yeah. so easily. And um, that should be a lot more difficult. Sure. Continue around the table, Shireen. Something that Elgin uh, touched upon, which reminded me, there was a case of that very sad news recently, wasn't it, about that, that child with the mold that hit the headlines. Do you think that was a wake-up call for a lot of people, just how significant this problem is? And just on the end of that as well, in terms of the other mutual aid groups within the country, are they doing the same sort of awareness transitioning like this local group is? So, in, yeah, in terms of the, the really sad case with the, the effect of the housing, mm. which, which meant that a child died, yeah. essentially, yeah. Um, that, I think it definitely brought kind of public attention yeah. to it. And what has been seen as well is that um, local authorities or local authority housing are, are, are more nervous around that yeah. because there's that public spotlight. So that's something that, you know, is it helpful to them use. exposes now, doesn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you'll know better than me, but um, your homes, Newcastle, have now set up a damp and mould specialist yeah. team okay. as a result of some of the pressure that we've put on. So there's a direct line yeah. for that. Yeah. Whereas, you know, it's something that really was ignored right. before and took a lot, a lot of pressure. So that's yeah. that's yeah. something they've said they'll do or yeah. done. No, they've done, it. Yeah, done. Yeah, they've done. done. Yeah. Um, yeah, in terms of other groups... I think there's not many groups that are sort of carrying on in right. the same way that we know that we okay. had a lot of connections across the city okay. and a bit uh, nationally as well. There were mm. all sorts of different groupings and things that set up, but mm. a lot of them sort of haven't haven't continued really, so mm. haven't found that longer term set up. And it has it's difficult mm. to keep things going because mm. people were people in crisis mode react and want to help. You know, there was the national NHS volunteers. So yeah. many people signed up, but that has changed. People go back to their life. People sort of forget. Sure. So uh, sure. keeping that people, keeping people going, organized, mobilized to do things takes, takes a lot. Well, I like to think what you guys are doing here would, would inspire others. That's the long-term goal, I expect, isn't mm -hmm. it? Or, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I made reference when we came in, um, the awful case of the, the, the threat of the bailiffs, and it sadly led to a, a young man's suicide. But I guess if there's a silver lining, that his terrific mum 
Tracy Rogers, who's been on the a guest before, uh, made this docudrama to highlight this issue. But can you give in, uh, further insight to these sorts of powers that be when, when they're knocking on people's doors, when they're vulnerable, whether in rent arrears, through no fault of their own, their, their mental health? What, what that does to a person, we know what it did in that sad case, but in other cases, what other triggers does it do to people in terms of their well-being being impacted? It's living in that constant state of fear, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, nowhere to turn. Um, and it does at times get lost, isn't it, what side of the door you're looking at. Mm. It's, it, it starts earlier than bailiffs knocking. It's actually getting those letters. letters so if yeah. you imagine yeah. you're sleeping, your diet, everything yeah. is having a knock-on effect, and then you finally yeah. get the event of someone physically being yeah. there. Yeah. That's got to be terrifying. They go in denial, don't they? It's like filing the letters it's, away. It's got, to happen, it's, yeah. it's got to trigger a lot of trauma. Yeah. You're saying it's, and once you live in that constant state, even when the problem is solved, it's difficult to, for you to unravel yourself from sure. that because sure. you're tied to it. Sure. You know, you're stuck in that place of fear. Mm -hmm. Uh, and months it takes, isn't it? It's sure. terrible, mm -hmm. you know, to be finished off with, you know, a big guy knocking on your door mm -hmm. saying, I'm going to break it down. Mm -hmm. And the build-up to it. Yeah. I mean, you see, the thing, what you work on is you get great groups like this who have to come forward and do things about it. It's a community you know, reaction, isn't it? And, 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 and even when we're talking about child, Greg's have been addressing it for years in the schools, some of the schools where they've had breakfast clubs. Mm -hmm. But that's not solving the problem. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the problem needs to be solved yeah. at the top, not at the bottom. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, all it is is, you know, we've got fortunate people like around this table who are constantly doing that, but nothing's changing at the top. Mm -hmm. It's got to be bottom, you know, it's got to be top down, not bottom Absolutely. up. Absolutely. You know, um, and I know in the in argument you're saying about the, the landlords, I think they've introduced it over the last couple of years, is that new licensing. Mm -hmm. uh, but I mean, you know, I, I would think that was just a money-making team because I know friends of mine who have properties, they are mm -hmm. good landlords, mm -hmm. and the, the Newcastle was the first one to adopt it, and they're charging about £850 mm -hmm. to 144,000 properties. You know, uh, to deal with social aspects of housing and everything else, so... I don't know where this damp comes in, but it's never really mentioned, hasn't it? Repairs or anything. It's, it's, the, the cost has gone up. You know, we, I, when, when people talk about unscrupulous landlords, it actually takes me back to about 20, 30 years. That's when a lot of them existed. Uh, I can say now that a lot of them are good landlords. It's unfortunately, it's how the system works where the problem starts. Mm. So, you know, we have people getting into debt. They can't afford to do this. The problem with food, food poverty is you know, yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. That That's how people are getting into debt, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and let's hope this licensing works out. I mean, I've seen a few examples where it's not, but that's on the council side because you paid for a service. I mean, this has been a great discussion. We're coming up to the end. Um, next two, three minutes, I'm leaving it sort of open mic style. If anyone's got anything more to contribute, please do. Well, so, I mean, the, st the state of the housing is really poor. Yeah. And so I do think the landlords have absolutely a huge amount of responsibility in that because, we, because what, you know, environmental health, because of austerity, couldn't even investigate when people made complaints. Mm -hmm. and so the licensing thing hasn't worked because uh, so far very well because Newcastle City Council has not actually yeah. acted on the licensing. They should be taking away people's mm -hmm. right to be a landlord yeah. because we know that they, people, they, you know, unscrupulous landlords trying to carry out kind of sex for rent stuff, yeah. um, not making repairs for years, intimidating and threatening people. So there are lots of really bad landlords that we definitely know that. And the, and the state of the properties when they get inspected is that a huge number of them 
fail in the most basic housing standards. So category one health hazards to the tenants. So the landlords are not doing a good job and neither is the council. And I agree that we need absolutely systemic change from the top, mm -hmm. but we have to create that pressure yeah. because we don't see it coming from elsewhere. Yeah, so it's yeah. again, yeah. continually not, not letting people off the hook. Cause even, you know, if we, if we focus on the social landlords failing and don't focus on the top, uh, the private ones, that, who does that benefit? That benefits mm -hmm. the private landlords who also don't do a good job. Sure. So it's not letting the government kind of hoodwink us and make us think it's only a social housing problem. And, and I, I would say that it's, you know, they're on the side of, of private landlords because the government is ideologically more on the side of people who own cool. lots of property. Cool. And I'm against that. I think that's cool. really wrong. So I think they're, you know, not letting yourself get hoodwinked mm -hmm. into thinking, you know, what they want you to think about mm -hmm. the situation is, the, is, is hard. And mm -hmm. it takes us really thinking collectively together to not to not get pulled into their way of thinking. Sure. Any more contributions? Just want to say quickly from the mental health side that yeah. doing this kind of work, as I said, it's got to be continuous bottom up as well to put pressure. Mm -hmm. um, so, but doing this kind of work from a mental health side of things, like it, this is the sort of thing that gives people hope, mm -hmm. and that is yeah. so important. Yeah. So, yeah. I think seeing these kind of groups having visibility in the community mm. and in getting more people to come along and join in and be encouraged and feel like, yeah, you can, you can yeah. do this. Right. Everybody is able yeah. to 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 do something and to be part of. Making I mean, I also say it's, so it's like a community psychology sort of aspect reaction to to you know looking after each other because if you're yeah. It's about neighbors. it goes beyond neighborly, you know. It just it just feels, but it, there's a rewarding aspect. I'm sure everyone around this table feels that, you know, mm -hmm. that you're helping out vulnerable people. It's to your well-being and their well-being. I mean, it, but we're it's all a vulnerable people, also, yeah, right? Like of course. In, in any moment, something could happen where you yeah. end up in debt or you end up in a situation where you can't do stuff yourself. Oh, yeah. like we've seen, and COVID yeah. made that really clear. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's also the premise of this group, and that's really mm -hmm. important for me that it's not about like. Oh, you know, like me helping someone, but that it's really about like us helping each other, yeah, um, and doing it together. And I think it would have, you know, looking at that young man who took his own life, um, what would have been the outcome if he'd had guys like you sitting there helping him? I think it would have been like, amazing. Oh, it would have been, you know, the, the proof set. That's that is to me answers everything, and the you know the, the reason and the, the raising the profile is the key. To not leave feeling people feeling helpless. Mm. And on that word of solidarity, I'm going to end this here. Thank you to Mwenza, to Luce, to Elgin, Shireen, and as ever, Amir, our therapist on the show. My name is My name is Ricky Thamen. Thank you, Food and Solidarity. Great workshop. Great to be part of it. And we'll hope to talk to you guys again. Yeah. Good luck for the future. Thank Cheers. you. Bye. everyone, welcome to part two of episode 95 of Mentally Sound podcast series. I'm here in the West End, as ever, with our trusted and sure therapist and good friend, overall good guy, Mr. Ami Mirza. How are you doing, sir? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah. How's your Sunday going? Yeah, it's going very well, Ricky. I'm sitting here with you. What more could I ask for? Yeah. I mean, we can talk about how great the first part was, but... I don't think we should go over that because uh, there was enough there for people to listen to. But... And let them listen to it themselves yeah, and make up their own minds yeah, uh, yeah. and then let them tell us how But it was it a was. really good half hour in terms of community community projects in relation to helping out vulnerable people. 
and, and generally solidarity, yeah, also. Inspiring. Yeah. And I feel quite good after doing that, um, you know, just, just doing a round-the-table discussion. I'm not sure the last time I've did that, actually, around the, you know... Did well, it, you look good as well, did Ricky, I right? if did I, I might do, just say so. Did I do so. all right? Did I do all right? Yeah, of course you did. Oh, I mean, it kept man. the chat flowing, thanks, you know. Man. I appreciate that. Now we're also talking about more serious matters, things more topical, because I mean, myself should really kind of talk and revise about, because it's been a big political debating point. Um, now we know about migrants and we talked about asylum seekers and their own level of mental health and trauma specifically but something very disturbing happened over in Merseyside where something very quickly whipped up on social media which led to a huge crowd gathering outside a hotel in uh, is it Knowingsley? Know Knowingly? Knowingly. Yeah. which I understand is a very deprived part of Merseyside yeah. Yeah. and a crowd got whipped up and there was police presence there and of course there were very vulnerable migrants being housed in a hotel where, you know, they got to see that what was going outside the windows, obviously, uh, you know, trauma on top of trauma, you could say. Secondary trauma, would you say that was Amir? It can be, when yeah. You, I mean, they, you know, time will tell with that, yeah. you know, but it's probably not even secondary trauma because a lot of the migrants are already traumatised through yeah. what they've gone through in their journeys just to get here. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, and, it, and of course it... It filters down to the other subject of, you know, racism, and um, we like to think that we live in more better times. Uh, you think of previous decades where racism was really heavy, and you had sort of great groups like Rock Against Racism emerge, and I mean, those such groups still emerge now. But when you saw those images, Amir, did you get a sense of history repeating? Are we still fighting the same battles of previous decades? And what do you think? change now in society maybe it could be things like social media and it could be the way the things are whipped up a lot quicker these days which makes racism a lot more it's still it's still a battle that we deal with now they've been there for so long yes social media can whip them up but ricky they've been there so long if we go back to the broadwater farm riots um you know the ones in south london yeah. You know, we had those other riots around the country. They are all race-based and based on frustration. Mm. You know, and people are willing, you know, to to jump on board and express themselves. So yeah. if you feel that people, if people feel they're getting suppressed and not being heard, yeah. then as a group, yeah. you will see this yeah. being acted out. So when these agitators, shall we say, and that's a kind name we'll give them, um, the most kindest name we can give them. It's a family show. Yeah, exactly. But it gives them ideal opportunity to do the sort of finger of blame, sort of, doesn't it? Where the reasons for your problems, the reasons you're not being hurt, is because these guys are being prioritised over you. It's their fault. Mm -hmm. We should anger towards them rather than the people at the top making the decisions. Is that a fair comment? That's a very fair comment, yeah. yeah. yeah I mean... And do you think it comes as well on the back of the recent political rhetoric where you know, certain politicians are referred to them as invaders, um, that, you know, they're taking advantage of our system over, you know, decent law-abiding people, to use their language. It's, so, it's already doing a sort of us and them sort of stance, isn't it, when you use language like that? They did. It's, do you know, you don't have to look at this as an example. We can just go back historically. What about uh, Mosley's Air Brown Church, yeah. wasn't it? The, 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 the migrant, what they did. To attack against the Jews and everything else, you know, against the Jewish communities. 
it's just an ongoing theme, isn't it? It's, it's, it's a thing which doesn't seem to get resolved, mm -hmm. but you know, people use that as a catalyst to yeah. express themselves, yeah. you know? Yeah. Just something you're going off there, Amir. I was going to say, because uh, a good mutual friend of ours, the late Nigel Todd, wrote a really good book about mm -hmm. how they were chased out of Newcastle as well. It wasn't just... Um, it was the Black Shirt, yeah. Wasn't just um, chased out of Cable Street in London, yeah. but here as well. Yeah. So you are, we're in mutual agreement that the rhetoric given by these powerful, be the Home Office, yeah, you know, mm -hmm. feeds into the finger pointing of blame. People want an outlet for outlet for why their lives aren't as great as others. I think if, you, I'm, if I'm pointing the finger at you, then that puts the spotlight on you, doesn't it? Rather than me. I mean, if we're talking politically here, look what's happened. Prime ministers have lied, he's attended so many parties, Boris Johnson did, all of them did, broke so many rules, yeah. and they're just carrying on as if nothing happened. Mm -hmm. So that says a lot about the society that's developed, you know, and that, and that actually ties in with people's mental health. Yeah. Because if, you're, if you feel helpless, yeah, mm -hmm. and vulnerable, yeah. then it's given the impression that there's no place for you in this society. Yeah, good point. So the idea of people being housed in hotels kind of goes against, in a almost an aesthetic and symbolic way, the why are these people being treated so well and we're not sort of thing. But asylum seekers, and I think uh, uh, refugees and asylum seekers, consisted of something like 0.001%. And yet, yeah. it's nearly 99% of the news. Yep, yeah. You know? Uh, why? It's a helpful distraction, isn't it? Yeah, of course it is. I mean, yeah. it's just a small... And the thing is, the people that you're getting across, the majority of them are so well qualified. Yeah. You know, the, the, the engineers, anything, doctors, mm. everything. Mm. They're, they're so well qualified people have had to leave and not the country they didn't want to leave. Yeah. Well, and we're not going into the political reasons of why the war started. We'd be here all night. But they, they've had to leave somewhere where they loved. I mean, I've, I've got Syrian friends now. One of them, I was, I was talking to him yesterday, and he was saying, Do you know what? My, my uncles and all that have been buying the land there because he said one day it'll be a great city again. But he said the only thing identified for him was that even the countries next to him, like Jordan, they were treated like peasants and they weren't allowed to work. They couldn't get even a skilled job like a barber. They couldn't do that. They had to go and do the manual labour. That's the only jobs they were allowed to do. And that's the thing here. You've got so many qualified people which would fit the category of, you know, you've got a master's in this, you're an engineer, you're an architect. Yeah. Um, they would fit in a lot of the migration categories, mm. but they've had to flee their homes mm. in terror. Yeah. Kinder transport. Given how we were so kind of proactive and, and, and did that very necessary thing and bring those children over from facing certain death, why isn't that same feeling reciprocated? Or is it is it being reciprocated? It just doesn't make the news because it's not fashionable, maybe, or... It doesn't feed the rhetoric. I mean, yeah. you know, when the, when, the, when the Jews came over as migrants, they were ostracized. Yeah. Anybody that came over as migrants, where we had the victims now of um, wind, 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 windfall? Windrush. Windrush. The victims of that, they came here to do the labor. Yeah. And now the services are no longer required. You know, economic migrants, 
you know, in a sense, to get a better life, but yet yeah. still treated like second-class people. Yeah. And I think that's what happens with the working class. Yeah. We are, you know, economic residents. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're a working class, that's what you do. You're going yeah. you, you to do this. Yeah. So, so, in a sense, you don't want to be associated with, with these other people who come from far distant exotic lands. The same, the same thing when a lot of the migrants came from Jamaica to do the work from yeah. India. Yeah. when they came over years ago. Yeah. People want to detach themselves from that. And it, it's just so, it's because of that image of people on a boat, you know, sailing over, as if that is the actual threat. But, but it's not the, the driving aspect to why people mm -hmm. are coming that they don't focus on. It's incredible, isn't it? Mm -hmm. That they choose the, mm -hmm. the visual. But it's a threat that, you know, there might be terrorists coming over and doing this and that, but at the end of the day, there's, there's, there's subversive wars being fought and started all over the world where all governments are involved in, in Ukraine as well. That's just, just the yeah. Ukrainians fighting there. Yeah. yeah, and just for context, uh, Amir mentions Ukraine, so I won't mention individuals, but I was watching my nephew play football this morning and I happened to be standing next to the mother of a Ukrainian child brought in, and she, of course, herself is obviously a refugee as well. And it was just nice to make that connection and we were both cheering on each other's child and I just thought that was a real human moment you know just just something that we shared on a Sunday morning and that uh, is the reality of life isn't it where instead of all the chaos yeah. that were force fed yeah. through you know social media news outlets and everything else yeah how's that impact us that is the reality of life go and have a chat with somebody Absolutely. go and chat with your neighbor who you don't know you know yeah yeah but as I say to all our listeners Look after yourselves out there. More importantly, look after your mental health. Till next time on Mentally Sound, take care. See you. Bye. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another part of episode 95 on Mentally Sound's podcast series. Well, here I am at the Vermont Hotel in Newcastle. Um, I feel enormously privileged to be here. Very swanky it is. And I'm here because Shelter, the renowned homelessness and housing charity, are putting on an event. It's a regional fundraising event. A lot of local dignitaries sorts here. Why I'm here, I don't know, but we'll figure that one out. <laughs> but um, thankfully, a couple of people from Shelter have agreed to do a few minutes with us. And as Spice FM is a community radio station and we deal with a lot of community-related stuff, things like housing and homelessness, um, yeah, I think their time with us will be beneficial to a lot of years. First of all, I have the head of community fundraising for Shelter. It's Max. How are you, sir? I'm very well, thank you. How are you doing? I'm all right. Um, I'm still, I still can't believe I'm here. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, I've, I even went to the toilets downstairs. Wow, those are something They're else. Pretty yeah. flash on yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, give the give the listeners a sense of a reminder of what shelter is all about because we had shelter on a good few years ago, sort of pre-lockdown. Mm. I'm interesting to know how things have changed since then. Obviously, you know uh, we've had cost of living, we've had the pandemic. Have things gotten worse or better? But yeah, first of all, tell tell people about shelter and maybe a little bit about the origins as well. Yeah, so Shelter's um, National Homelessness mm -hmm. and uh, Homelessness Charity, yeah. um, formed in 1966 um, okay. out of um, public outrage when uh, pa 
public outrage about the about homelessness situation in in the UK, um, yeah. particularly spurred That's by like the Cathy Cumbon. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, yeah which um, which I, I don't, I'd urge anybody. You know, it's, it's over fifty years old, but yeah. it's still worth a watch to yeah. to real see, really see the human impacts mm. of yeah. homelessness and bad yeah, housing absolutely. on on people, mm-hmm. and. Although a lot has changed since then, yeah. and a lot has changed since I think you had my colleague uh, mm-hmm. Tracy Guy on um, yeah, yeah. a couple of years ago, yeah. um, the actual human impact of mm-hmm. homelessness, of not having a, a safe, secure, and affordable home, mm-hmm. is the same today as it was in 1966. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, it can it can devastate lives, it can devastate people's physical and mental well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and we've seen recently um, stories in the in the in the media about yeah. um, the the impact of mold and damp, mm. you know, and has, has killed people. That, you yeah, know, yeah. bad housing and homelessness kills mm. people. Yeah. Um, I think when you spoke uh, to my colleague Tracy, uh, it was perhaps at the start of lockdown. It was uh, before lockdown. Good before lockdown. It may have been a year okay. two before lockdown as well. So that, that was the second part of the question, in a way. Since since that time, four or five years ago, what's the situation? Even till now, it's gotten better, worse. I think it's got worse. I think uh, really interestingly happened uh, at the start of lockdown mm. was that um, when we're saying um, you need to stay at home. Yeah. How do you stay at home if you when don't you have one? Home, yeah. If you if you're lit, you know, if you're homeless or if you if your home is yeah. is cramped, is damp, and so on. Mm-hmm. And actually, what it what happened was the government found mm-hmm. the money, perhaps more importantly, yeah. found the will yeah. to do something about mm-hmm. it because of those because it's sure. an emergency. Sure. We at Shelter would say we're in a housing emergency right now. Mm-hmm. We heard today from one of my colleagues in the campaigns team yeah. that um, Birmingham City Council have actually declared a housing, an official mm. housing emergency. Mm. Um, and that is actually yeah. the case across the country. Yeah. There, there's not enough homes for people. I remember listening to that point um, and I thought it was really quite fundamental. But was that through the power of working with the local authorities that enabled that? And if that is the case, why can't that be you know replicated across the country it's a great question because it is absolutely something that we're looking yeah. to replicate across the country and absolutely here in the northeast yeah. so um what we what we what we have done and what shelter is trying to do more and more mm-hmm. of is to to work with local people people sure. affected by the housing emergency sure. to help them organize and help them to to, mm-hmm. well, to understand what the mm-hmm. issues are stand yeah. beside them mm-hmm. and help them to challenge the local yeah. council yeah. so I, I would hope that in at some point in the not too distant future mm-hmm. the the councils and the authorities in the northeast would mm-hmm. be declaring a housing emergency right. and once you've got yeah. those people in that position yeah. to say this is the situation mm-hmm. then it's then it's so much easier mm-hmm. to get them to do something about and it and through such an emergency can things the, can things be sorted in terms of having introducing rent caps or people like renters can have more power? Because, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, a whole whole thing that Shelter's trying to do, and actually is a, is a change that Shelter's undergone mm-hmm. in our outlook since um, since you spoke to Tracy, yeah. is that um, like we 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 help people in mm-hmm. a crisis, mm-hmm. but also but how do we stop people getting into that crisis in the first yeah. place? Yeah. And and that's um, where we're trying to influence national government and mm. local governments and housing associations to mm. to okay. we call them systemic changes but to create fundamental changes that yeah. almost like cutting off the head of the of the housing crisis that then we can stop people more cool. and more people being put in that cool. crisis situation because we just can't raise enough money mm. to ca- keep helping mm. more and more people that are being put in mm. really awful situations because of you know the economy and the cost of living. Yeah. You know, and the the lack of social homes. Sure, sure. 
something in, in Tracy's introductory piece at the beginning of this sort of seminar was uh, she mentioned about mental health, mental well-being <coughs> as being an important cause as to why people fall through the gaps. So through your own knowledge and what you've saw, what, what examples can you give of how such things can happen? I mean, there was a really moving piece about Billy and Shandor. I think it was in yeah. Sunderland. I, I was quite moved by that piece of footage because, of course, the child in that, in that uh, you know, you could see local antisocial behaviour was affecting him. Yeah. Um, Billy became disabled, so he felt, felt behind on, on rent and such things. It, how typical is that, is, is that sort of story? I think that's a really good story, and, um, and it's really typical of what, um, yeah. what shelter... Um, uh, experiences a lot, mm -hmm. you know, from from working with people. My yeah. my partner works on also works for shelter on the national helpline, right. and so he's speaking to people daily yeah. who are, um, you know, the, the most common type of person that you speak to are people like Billy and Shandor, where yeah. for reasons outside of their control, yeah. um, they they fall through the gaps in what the state mm. and the local authorities mm. can can provide mm. to help them, and they end up in really poor, unsuitable. Mm. Uh, often unsanitary accommodation, sure. yeah. and you saw from the film the. I think Billy said he was a Billy. The I think it was like no, a nine-year-old yeah. when he was asked how it makes him feel for the you know the fighting and the arguments and the shouting happening. He said annoyed, and I think, I think annoyed was, really underplays why the, well, the actual uh, impact on somebody. Bless his heart for a nine-year-old. He was trying to be diplomatic. I think he was and, trying and, to be polite and, and trying to be nice. Was the best annoyed, way he could, yeah. yeah. But um, but the you know the impacts on yeah, yeah the impact of. That just really like volatile, unsafe situation, and a place where you, know, you want, we want all want our children to feel safe at home, mm -hmm. and it breaks my heart if yeah. know, to think that they're children who don't feel safe at home, yeah. and you know parents as I'm a parent, mm -hmm. and you just want to protect your children, and mm -hmm. to to not to have that fundamental thing as a parent taken away from you because of Absolutely. things outside your control that affect your housing status. Absolutely. Um, just like take something fundamental away that you want to provide uh, to your children. But Billy, Billy and Shandor, they're in a good place now. It looked like from the end of that footage. So yeah, it's a success story. Absolutely okay. a success story. Yeah, they they got in touch with shelter. Shelter yeah. supported them. Shelter mm -hmm. advised them on their on their rights and mm -hmm. supported them to get into mm -hmm. uh, into safe and secure and their mm -hmm. own accommodation. And sure. we saw from the video um, how happy they were, how yeah. happy they are now. Yeah, it's nice to see that. And we're also joined here by Jess, who's the Regional community fundraiser, I got that right. Yes, yeah. that is right, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, before we were met, we went to the same university with yeah, Chan, we did. We? Small world. Small, small world. Small world and small university small as well, university, Teesside yeah. Uni. Yeah, but you can tell some stories. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks for joining us again, and well done on today's showcase seminar. Just saying to Max before, uh, I feel almost privileged to be here. Aww. The toilets here or the swanky stuff. Oh, literally, yeah. <laughs> but, um, That's why I picked the venue for the Oh, did the you? Oh, it's all down to you. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, but in terms of the, the, the local aspects, Shelter have moved premises. Do you want to tell listeners about where the new premises are and what that centre aims to provide? Yeah. So we have moved from Pilgrim Street. Mm -hmm. and So we were... We didn't have our own premises. We yeah. were renting mm -hmm. an office within um, another mm -hmm. premises. Mm -hmm. So now we've got our own space, which mm -hmm. is really, really positive. Mm -hmm. um, and we're based on Clayton Street. Mm -hmm. um, so it's basically the same services we provided at Pilgrim Street, mm -hmm. um, just a bit more space mm -hmm. 
for um, people who need to drop in during nine till five. So um, the office is open nine till five, so it is there for people who need immediate support. Um, and the services that we offer are solicitor um, support, solicitor and legal support. Mm-hmm. We offer ad- general advice and mm-hmm. support. Yeah. And, and we also have our floating support as well, mm-hmm. which is um, where our team have about 17... 17 clients per one um, floating support worker, mm-hmm. but they're always out and about okay. supporting them when they're moving to their own property. And as I mentioned from what Tracy was saying in the, in the introductory piece, it's sort of a drop-in centre as well of sorts? It's yeah, so yeah, so we're open 9 till 5, yeah. um, so if anyone does need immediate support, okay. they can pop into our clinic. So you don't have to pre-book anything? No, no, it. yeah, so... Yeah. Okay. Um, between nine and five, it is. Um, you will be seen on that mm. day if you are seen as. Uh, and just on the the premise itself, um, I was wondering, from a, an aesthetic sort of visual point of view, was it important to have a sort of a city centre base where people walking past could see? Oh, that's where shelter is. Yeah. Because Pilgrim Street is sort of slightly down Northumberland, not really. Yeah. Not a lot of people walk um, to and from. Yeah, and to be honest, because we were in like a, a building mm-hmm. that wasn't the full shelter building. Yeah. Um, and it was the the. The office was absolutely huge, um, yeah. and our workers just need somewhere they can, you know, get their heads down, mm-hmm. get on mm-hmm. a desk, and a uh, reception and meeting area. And mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. anyone does come in at immediate homeless, they can see see to them straight away. Great. And just to, just in the last few minutes, so we talked to Max before about what today was all about. Um, what else can you sort of offer in terms of what shelters goals are for you know the rest of this year, future years? I know today was sort of a big thing with, with fundraising, yeah. talk about people leaving things in their wills, for example. Mm-hmm. But what else? Yeah, just we'll a little bit on that and what more our shelter aim to do. Yeah, no problem. So really the main aim for Shelter North East is to raise mm-hmm. awareness of our services, which yeah. is why we started um, mm-hmm. introducing events mm-hmm. like this. And mm-hmm. um, we, we really want local people to sort of get involved in our events coming mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have got a Hadrian's Wall trek coming mm-hmm. up in September and yeah. um, the Lake District Five Peaks people can get involved in. Mm-hmm. Great North Run, we have places and um, if anyone listening needs places, please do get in touch with Ricky yeah. <laughs> and he can get yeah, in yeah. touch with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we are doing a hub opening day in April as well, a spring okay. spring version, yeah, okay. so that's another opportunity and that's just the mm-hmm. start of the event calendar as well, so there will yeah. be more and more um, things added to the local events. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are on Facebook as a group now, so it is fundraising in Newcastle, shelter mm-hmm. fundraising in Newcastle. Well, there's a separate sort of fundraising page? Of yeah, it's just a, it's like a group, right. yeah. Okay. So any, any member Anyone of the can, public... Anyone can join that? All right, they can okay. join it, yeah, yeah, and they can. it's public anyway, so you can, right. you can view what's on there. We'll be popping updates and things on there just to... Um, just to really raise awareness in, in our local community. Brilliant. Brilliant. So well, just on that basis then, we've got a couple of minutes left. Do both of you want to sort of let people know how people can get in touch, other ways online? And of course, you mentioned the new Clayton Street space. So if anyone who doesn't know where Clayton Street is, you want to yeah. mind with? Clayton Street is in the sit- heart of the city centre it is, in Newcastle. Yeah. <laughs> just off Newgate Street. It I is believe, off yeah. Newgate Street, yeah. yeah. And it is approximately five to six minutes walk from mm. Newcastle Central train station. Okay. Um, 
so it is a very really long road with slap bang in the middle of the road um mm-hmm. and it's all shelter branded right so opposite the uh, my favorite place the granger market so you could literally sort of see it literally. as you walk out yeah yeah brilliant um max any other ways that people get in touch uh, online and, and sort of yeah absolutely on? they can check out our website which is shelter.org.uk mm-hmm. and if anybody wants to if anybody sat at home listening to this thinking I'd like to support Shelter, but I'm probably not a great North Runner. I'm not a Hadrian Wall or Walker. Mm. I want to do something, but I'm not quite sure what to do. Yeah. Get in touch with Jess. At, um, mm-hmm. Our email address is jess underscore Sullivan at shelter.org.uk. And Jess is one of my best community fundraisers in the team. She's the best one in the Northeast. Well. And um, she can help anybody turn whatever they love to do in their spare time into I, amazing I don't get to go to uh, places like this but thanks to Jess I have so I can vouch for that <laughs> as well so um, um, thanks for for doing this thanks for inviting me along thanks for meeting you guys and seeing what great organisation that you guys do and of course from the film itself the, the testimonies given by people how their lives literally get well first of all literally fall through the cracks but it's nice that you have a safety net like yourself to get them on the Back in the straight and narrow. So well done. Thank you. Thanks Thank so you for being part of Mentally Sound. Thank you. Thanks Thank for coming. You. You're welcome. Thanks so much for coming. You're welcome. So that's the end of part 95 of Mentally Sound's podcast series. Catch us on Spice FM and on our social media. And we'll speak to you again very soon. Thank you.